Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Software and Technology Podcast brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Josh Fisher. Drones are more than just toys or weapons. They're at the forefront of new technologies for property rights, human rights, and global development. The way we think about drones and their uses has vastly shifted over the years. Businesses and entire industries have begun adopting them for one key point, and that is data collection. Listen in as we discuss the numerous ways drones are being utilized for collecting data and how the innovations on drones are increasing this data collection and how it is all being regulated by the FAA. Joining us today to talk about his experience is J.B. Bernstein, CEO of Avisite. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. So I want to start quickly. Uh, the fact that John Hamm is playing you in a movie, <laughs> I think I heard that somewhere. Is that true? So it, it, it's actually rearview mirror. So that, that happened in 2014. So D Disney made, uh, I invest in a lot of different businesses, drones being one of them, but um, I, I have a lot of investments in sports businesses. And so I came up with this idea to go to India and try to find some baseball pitchers and it worked and we got these guys signed by the pirates and then uh, Disney made a movie about it in which John Hamm plays me. So yes, that's true. But the reason why you and the rest of the world doesn't know about it is because then Disney made this great movie and then scheduled it against Godzilla. And then the following week was X-Men. And then the following week was Maleficent. So I don't think we ever got our legs, as they say in the business. But um, it, it was still very cool to be able to say that John Hamm plays me in a movie. Definitely. <laughs> of course. And I do remember the movie coming out now. And that, that is some, some terrible timing, unfortunately. Ah, it's Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you feel like he captured your uh, your essence? You know what he 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 really did, and um, he and I become you know we became good friends, and uh, he he's really um, a great guy, but super actor, and and yeah, I think uh, my wife said it best, said, "Wow, you know, he acts like you. I wish you were that good looking." <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, so also, you were at uh, the Inner Drone conference last week, correct? Correct. Yeah. Avisite was there. Um, we were there um, talking to some of our different partners that we work with in the industry. And uh, in addition, unveiling some new technology that we really feel is pushing the edges of the industry. That's super exciting. Yeah. Market scale was there as well. Uh, so the conference went well for you. Everything was good. Yeah. You know, for, for a company like us, um, it's not that's not a, a conference you go to um, necessarily to sign up new clients it's really to see what the emerging trends are um in the industry and what some of the our partners are coming out with next and some of the newer versions of things but um ultimately i i think that that's where avsite is, is positioned itself as a leader more than anything is is being on the cutting edge of of technology and, and that's why we go to events like that to make sure that we know about everything that's out there available to us that we can put into our toolkit definitely and I mean, there was just so much to do with drones, uh, like the multifaceted power of drones from AEC to food and beverage. Uh, so with all of this, I kind of want to go deep dive into our main topic is how can we better access and create more comprehensive data through drones? And I want to sort of get your thoughts on that. Well, first of all, more than anything, and, and not a lot of, so congratulations, not a lot of journalists ask the right question. Drones are cool for about a minute, right? So when we do a demo for a big client, and they and the drone spins up and they go into the command center and they see it on the screen. And about a minute later, it's just a drone flying in the air. It's no big deal. But but data is what drones are all about. Today, drones represent the best way to collect data. 
Um, they get the sensors closer than traditional means and, and then safer than um, the manned means that a lot of people would use. So th there's a safety argument always for drones or automating things or taking people out of dangerous jobs. But at the end of the day, it's all about collecting the data better, processing it better, and putting it into you know an asset management systems that allow actionability. Everybody's chasing the holy grail in this industry. Well, you're talking, and when I say in the industry, I'm talking about what we do, which is critical infrastructure inspections. So you're talking power, gas, oil, water, any of these telecom, transportation infrastructure. They all care about one thing. They care about their data and getting to be able to get more use out of it. So what that really means, it means the shifting of reactive maintenance budget to preventive maintenance budget. Think about a power company or a gas company. How much of their budget goes into building new lines versus maintaining the old stuff? And so the only way they can really save money as an organization is to get rid of the emergent, the real emergency type situations where things break and to fix things before they break. And so the combination of drones, um, some really nice, uh, I, I hesitate to call it artificial intelligence. It's more like a change detection software, a little live video feed. And uh, you're off and running, finding, you know, 10 to 20 more times faults than you're able to find with helicopters. So you hit it right on the head from the start. It's all about the data. It's not really about the drones, although the drones helps us by putting the sensors in better places to get better data. Definitely. It's a means to an end. Do you feel like companies exactly. uh, are sort of jumping onto this and understanding it? You know what's funny is so we, we've been pushing this agenda now for about three years. And so the first year, people just looked at us like we we're crazy. They, they just said they knew drones were cheaper, and that's what they cared about. But they didn't really understand the regulatory environment. They didn't really understand the range limitations, and they didn't really understand um, even just the ability to buy drones or the flight times at that time. But um, what we found is the, um, the education curve amongst our clients has been exponential. So the same guys that didn't really understand what we were doing three years ago, we're now coming into that guy's office and he's wanting to know how far we can go BVLOS, how far is our command control versus how far is our video signal. He wants to know what sensors we can fly, what distances, how many points per meter we're getting off our LIDAR. Um, the, these guys are um, much more knowledgeable, but what really answers your question is they're all asking about do you have an injection EAM that we can use? Do we have some way that we can put this into my IBM Maximo um, so that the data is actionable? And that, and ultimately, where this all leads to is an area where you know most of the, it's funny most of the drone companies out there now collecting this data um, will probably never participate in the actual real AI revolution because we're just the food for it. Change data. That's all they really want. Change data. And so we provide that. And when Watson gets their reports and they say, wow, look at this 3D BIM model with all these different layers. You got a multispectral layer, you got a thermal layer. This, wow, if you, if you took these readings every month, I could tell you when your stuff was gonna break to the minute. And, and that's where this whole business is headed. Everybody sees it now. So I, I think that um, it's amazing to see how quickly the uptake has been 
and the clients really are starting to see very, very significant results, um, specifically internationally, where you know there aren't as many regulations about extending beyond visual line of sight, so you can be more competitive with helicopters and replace more miles of inspection with, with drone work. And there's our clients here are seeing really, really big, big dents in their budgets. Um, in terms of money saving and that shift from reactive to preventive maintenance um, as a result of finding more faults and finding things before they break. So it, it is uh, amazing how quickly the knowledge base is growing here. Definitely. And just hearing you describe it, I mean, it sounds, sounds like a no-brainer, but it definitely, uh, I'm sure it takes you know, different companies and their needs and stuff a little bit to sort of figure out how it works with them. Yeah. I mean, every car, so, you know, so back to kind of what we've designed is our, is our cube, our C3 UBE, which is um, the three C's are obviously command, control, communication um, for unmanned, beyond visual line of sight examinations is, is our kind of acronym for it. And what it is, is it's basically a military style mobile command center that allows for beyond visual line of sight operations of our drones. So we work hand in hand with the FAA. We're, we're actually part, uh, we work very, very closely and, and are, are part of the uh, Nevada Institute of Autonomous Systems, which is the test site for the FAA here in Nevada, which specifically focuses on this unmanned stuff. So, you know, there's a very big regulatory piece that I kind of gloss over because I know this is more of a technical broadcast, but um, to be clear, there, there's a very, very big regulatory piece that has to be in place that makes all this safe. So when we talk about all the technology I'll talk about um, with our beyond visual line of sight operations, the first and foremost thing is that it's safe. So we're constantly testing with the FAA on that. That being said, what that command center allows us to do, and you know, over time the distances change um, and get much longer, but we'll be able to park that command center, let's say uh, near a bunch of oil wells, and then be able to uh, command the drone uh, to collect the data amongst all those different oil wells. They might be 10, 20, 30, 50, hundreds of miles away long-term. And the software that makes this all possible from the cube is, you know, we've got obviously software that controls the actual drone, which is, you know, your command control. And then you've got your video stream or your data stream, which is sending back what the sensor is seeing. So it could be a LIDAR, could be thermal, could just be regular video. And all that stuff kind of comes back to our cube. And then it's all broadcast up to switch, which anybody I'm sure who listens to this broadcast knows is one of the biggest level uh, tier four um, uh, data centers in the world. Basically every government agency either has their primary or backup there and Amazon and you, you name it. It's this massive, massive uh, remnant of the Enron days that was bought up here in Las Vegas and then turned into this amazing facility. So we're able to actually broadcast a lot of the video that we do for our inspections with like a sub two second latency to our clients. So as we're out there flying a drone, in the old days, it would be a helicopter from 1200 feet and they'd send that they'd land and then 30 days later they would send you back their video with one of their analysts uh kind of review of it now you're sitting back in your control center the drones out there the software notices a problem 
see something doesn't like uh, in the pixels of, of the, it doesn't look like it's supposed to, it's a chipped insulate or whatever it, the computer thinks it is, and sends an alarm back to the guy at control. And now instead of waiting 30 days, he's there live time with the operator. He can land the drone, they can switch out sensors until he's 100% confident that he's diagnosed that problem. And then boom, he sends out the maintenance ticket and the drone goes on to find the next fault. It's really um, going from Flintstones to the Jetsons in terms of your inspections. So yes, there's a great safety uptick. You're taking people out of very dangerous inspection situations. But what you're getting is consistent data you can trust and that you can now have action out of it. You're getting it back in time to fix things before they break. And, and that's really the magic of what we do on both levels. So um, there's a, and what's also really kind of interesting about our business is, and like any new business that's, or new market, or new industry. So with drones, everything's about, you know, your, your, how far you can fly, be the OOS and how, and you know, what kind of change detection or, or AI component software do you have in the inspection market? That's so, it's gotten to the point where it's basically what I said at the outset. They don't care about the drones. They really just want to know how good they assume the barrier to entry is that you can get the FAA permissions and that you can fly drones to get them in the right place. Their question is now, how far can you fly beyond visual line of sight and, and how far can you um, transmit data? And so it's pretty, it's pretty interesting um, to see that evolution, but the cube itself, is a big, big breakthrough for our company and being able to provide those exact solutions to clients in the field so they can make decisions real time like that. Definitely. And it's fascinating what you guys are doing with that, uh, just everything involved. So we're talking about BVLOS. Uh, I want to know uh, what are the limitations for getting a drone out of sight and a limitation for a dangerous drone job, for example? Well, First and foremost, you can't, there's nobody in the country that can just go out and fly beyond visual line of sight. There's no waivers that have been issued for that yet. There are, you know, a handful of companies um, that I would say are kind of at our level. We're one of the companies that has probably done the most um, hours and the longest distances uh, of BVLOS um, in terms of commercial company that's not a manufacturer. Obviously, there are manufacturers out there that are doing stuff under test COAs that are able to do pretty much anything they want. But for a company like us, what we do is we meet with the client, we figure out what the case is, we go to the FAA and say, okay, this client um, owns a pipeline in Central Texas that's uh, a thousand miles long. And they want to be able to fly the entire pipeline beyond visual line of sight. They want to be able to do um, these sensors. These are the missions. This is the data. This is what they're going to be doing. And the FAA will come back with questions. And ultimately, they'll say, okay, so we'll approve you for five miles today. And then you'll operate that way for a certain period of time. And then they'll extend the waiver. And they'll keep extending it. And you keep submitting data. And you're helping them build the safety case. So um, the technology is so far ahead of the regulatory environment that it's almost the exact opposite problem most technology industries have is that the technology is not available. You can't build drones fast enough. I mean, the, the reality is you could do all that stuff if you needed to, but, but the FAA is, is going to have a very staged approach 
um, you know, we have the safest skies in the world for its crowding. Think about how many flights when you, if I always watch on CNN every morning, they have like the flight tracker and you see these 3000 silhouettes coming out of Atlanta and 3000 silhouettes out of LaGuardia, New York. And like you're saying, there's so many planes in the air and, and literally it's, it's very safe. So to get to that point for drones in, in kind of lower um, altitudes, it's going to take some time. But um, that being said, there, there are companies uh, credibly pushing those limits and we're one of them. Uh, right now though, you know, crafts are the big problem. So take a, a great machine like the Vapor 55, the Pulse Aerospace Vapor 55. With our payload, a LiDAR and a, and a camera, that thing, if, if you can get 30 minutes in the air, um, that'd be great with the lithium ion technology. They're coming out with a gas conversion kit that'll get it to two to four hours. Um, Latitude has some great, uh, L3Com has some great assets coming out. So as the range issue starts to erode, you're going to see a lot of lithium ion technology switch to combustion engines. So you're going to see drones going back to fuel engines away from um, the fuel cells because they just will never provide the range that they need in the short term to be able to really do any of the jobs that you're going to expect drones to be able to do. But specifically in my area, we have, you know, my client Berkshire Hathaway Energy has 275,000 miles of transmission line. I, I can't be doing that line of sight if, I, if they expect to have all that inspected with drones. You know, so, so that's kind of the transition we see the market going in between this seesaw uh, of regulatory compliance and, and regulatory allowances and then um, how far you can go. But you look at an asset like the HQ90 from L3Com and they say they're getting out to 300 miles BVLOS with four repeaters. Um, you know, it doesn't give a lot of other data about terrain or other things, but I mean, you know, the, the command control for sure is out to at least 300 miles on that one asset. Um, the FAA probably, when that thing goes from experimental to actual, a real production item, they're gonna work with every company and again, start at a few miles and then work their way out. But, but to know that the capacity is there, you know, you'll have companies like us, I believe, flying BVLOS at, you know, between two and 400 miles into next year, sometime in 2019. I think that's a very workable distance for credible drone company like us to be able to operate uh, BVLOS. Fascinating. And I was going to ask, uh, but you did bring it up, just the regulatory standards going with how quickly everything is evolving in this space. It just seems like things are going you know, uh, so fast and everyone like the FAA, as you said, is trying to catch up. Which is... Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say, I definitely wouldn't say the FAA is trying to catch up. I mean, they're ahead of it. So that's the thing is, you know, they're not just letting everybody do everything. They, they put out a part 107, which required commercial licensing. So you can't go out as more than an enthusiast. Um, AirMap, man, they've done a great job helping educate, um, you know, amateur flyers and amateur pilots and even guys who have their licenses about where they can fly and where they can't fly. Um, so the, you know, the big thing is um, the FAA, I feel like they're moving at light speed 
in terms of trying to open up airspace, but um, you know the safety of doing it. Uh, it it's, there's just no physical way to just open up the skies to everyone immediately. And so making these companies kind of take these steps toward that goal and qualifying each company individually on the missions they're doing with the clients they're doing. I mean, this is the, this is the smart way to build the skies out. And, and, and again, you know, their safety record is unbelievable. So from an FAA, I know government agencies always kind of get a knock, but um, there may not be a more successful government agency than the FAA. I mean, when you think about how many landings and how many takeoffs um, are, happen on American soil every day and how the planes fly around this country every day, it's absolutely amazing, um, the safety record. So I only hope that, you know, we're able to replicate that kind of safety record you know, with drones in the lower orbit. But I, I can tell you, though, um, FAA is definitely ahead of the curve. You know, they've bent over backwards to work with companies like us and our clients, um, whether it's Berkshire Hathaway Energy or Centerpoint. I mean, during that hurricane in Houston, the FAA um, was giving us all kinds of emergency COAs to be able to help restore power. Um, it's just amazing, amazing coordinational stuff. So I see, it's funny, I'm sure as the public looking in, everything seems like it's moving slow, but to me, it seems like it's moving at a pretty quick clip. Um, of course, look, commercially, would I want it to go faster? Yes, but um, you, you can't sacrifice safety. And that that's really the the one lesson that I hope every drone company takes to heart and puts really as their preset, their number one precept of doing business is safe operations under FAA guidelines. And everything else you do, that that's great. But if everybody focuses on that as their core belief, we'll all get to where we want to get to a lot faster. Agreed. I think that uh, reigns true for a lot of things in life. Uh, but you're right. I mean, there's, you know, for all the planes that are up in the air and for everything that's going on in the sky, really, there's there's not too much news of trouble going on. Uh, so I want to bring up uh, one last thing, just talking about the industry and where it's headed the next five years, the next 10 years. How do you see data collection evolving from there? Do you see uh, just quicker and better ways to get specific data? Or do you see whole new avenues of discovering new data that we couldn't have collected five, 10 years ago with drones? Well, you know... First and foremost, so you, you talk five years, uh, you know, that's like 50 years ahead in this, the way this industry is moving. But in five years, yeah. I would imagine that um, you're going to start to see other collection methods other than drones. You're going to see uh, right now, almost all pipe is built with both internal and external sensors. Um, there, there's a client uh, we have, a natural gas client. That I think has the largest mesh internet of 100 megabyte pipe in the world because they have so many millions of sensors along all their pipes already. Um, so, so I think that you're going to see ubiquitous sensing in that there'll be both internal and external sensors built into the actual wire, into the pipes, into the lines, into the substations, into the parts, a lot of RFID. But um, that being said, you know, you're always going to need some kind of inspection. I think the big advances that are going to come in the drone industry are going to be in the sensor packages 
right now a lot of sensor packages are not really great to fly on drones you know we just integrated um a, a coronal sensor which they t said is made for drones and it's not i mean and and so i think that you'll start to see um the breadth of sensors available will all, will probably be the next big bump in data revolution. I mean, the bump you're getting right now from collecting from helicopters at 1,200 feet above versus 100 to 200 feet above with a drone or getting as close as 50 feet if you really need to, um, on any sensor, you're seeing a massive increase. But ultimately, you know, you're going to want things like a thermal uh, lens that actually zooms. Uh, you're going to want all kinds of things that I believe will come out um, as that five-year point. Once you get to 10 years out, I think you're talking about drones operating in an IoT environment. So if you're a power or gas company, you'll own a drone fleet and um You'll have uh, some pilots, and but mostly everything will kind of run. So you might, let's say you got a couple thousand miles of pipe, and you might have three or four drones or 10 drones, whatever, that all dispatch from a mobile command center, and they fly their missions, and all the data comes back. And even, the chain, even when they find problems, it's, it'll probably be automated where the problem then will go to maintenance, and then people will be ultimately dispatched. But I, I think that um, you're going to see a really autonomous overhaul of a lot of industries. So, you know, the ones that makes the most sense right now are industrial inspection because of how much, how dangerous it is and how much money they can save. Um, I think as you get into other things like package delivery, you get into um, the more consumer driven areas of drones, that's the areas where you're going to have to really have a great solution. I can tell you right now, I fly power lines for MB Energy all through the desert. No one ever sees our drones. No one ever complains. No one's ever going to cry about privacy with my stuff because I'm flying over critical infrastructure. It's a place where they're not supposed to be. I'm the, you know, so I'm flying in places where I don't ever worry about kind of the intrusion. But when you think about someone like Amazon taking our technology, like let's say they say, hey, JB, we love your C3 UBE. We're going to buy one of those. And we're going to use that as our command center. So there'll be two trucks. The cube will pull up, and then the truck with all the packages will pull up. And then we'll have like 50 or 60 drones inside of the truck. And then we'll start dispatching the drones out to the people, to their houses from one central location. And then when we're done with that, the drones all come back, and we pack up and move to the next launch location. And I could see where that, you know, in residential neighborhood without a good plan, could become very, very tricky. And then, you know, obviously Amazon won't be the only one delivering with drones, McDonald's, everybody. So um, I, I do see a delineation between the problem that you'll have with the FAA and with the general public when you're flying around, you know, delivering packages and such versus um, what we do. But there, there's no doubt that they're going to need to have a plan in place to make sure that it doesn't become intrusive. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, just you painting that picture, I can see this integration happening. Uh, I think Amazon's already doing something with, with drone deliveries. They're trying to. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, again, it's all. so this is an area where 
technology is not caught up, right? Because it's about weight. So right now, an average Inspire can carry a couple of pounds maybe. But when you think about the packages being delivered by Amazon out of a truck to a specific area, you know, there's going to be a ton of them that couldn't be lifted by a drone. Again, that'll all change very, very quickly over the next couple of years, especially when Amazon wakes up and I shouldn't say what wakes up when they get through testing and they basically say, OK, we're ready to now deliver packages this way. So we want to buy, you know, 50,000 drones and this and that. People will get their products made for them. Uh, the, the real key is going to be exactly how it feels to the consumer. You know, when you're walking around at lunch, are there going to be just drones whizzing by your head and that you, after a while you just don't notice them? Or are they going to find ways to, to route so that it's not over people or not over crowded areas? I mean, there, there are a lot of solutions, but this is what's crazy about our industry. And it's really like any you know, the internet or software or anything is as soon as you solve an impossible engineering challenge that's never been solved before, they immediately hand you a new one or ask you to just extend that one. So you say, hey, I figured out how to fly uh, 500 miles below us. Oh, great. Can you do it from here to Pakistan? And, and I think that that is kind of um, indigenous to our industry. And it's something that everybody has to deal with. I laugh. I can't tell you how many times we come in and solve a problem for a client that they've had their entire for a hundred years, we solve this problem. And then they say, oh, now can you do this? Can you at least just enjoy the solution for a minute? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes that's uh, hard for people. It's all about the next thing. Exactly. Uh, but I mean, just in general, this industry in this space is growing so fast and it's so fascinating. Uh, and I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience with it. I appreciate it and uh, look forward to being on again. Of course. Uh, good luck with everything with uh, Avisite. And uh, I look forward to seeing what you guys do. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate it. Of course. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's software and technology podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Josh Fisher. See ya.